invite you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to our text this Lord's Day. As it's found in Proverbs chapter 21, uh, verse 9. Proverbs 21, 9. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. The Hebrew text uh, says, uh, it is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a woman of contentions. Brawling woman is a woman of contentions in a wide house. Well, this is, this is precisely parallel to what we find in Proverbs 26, verse 21, where it says, As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. A contentious man is, is a man of contentions. So here we have in Proverbs 21.9, a woman of contention. And in Proverbs 26.21, we find a man of contention. <clears throat> Thus, whether a woman or whether a man, this person is one who is characterized by contention, by strife, by quarreling. Contention between family members, church members, and friends, dear ones, is as rottenness in the bones. For it destroys love, destroys peace, it destroys unity, which Jesus, incidentally, purchased for us. Peace Love, unity, Jesus has purchased upon the cross for us and has implanted that in our lives as Christians. No Christian is without those graces. Every Christian has Christ's love, Christ's peace, and Christ's unity sown in their very hearts when they were regenerated. Discord among brethren is one of the abominations which the Lord hates. In Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, these six things that the Lord hate, very strong language, that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Once again, very strong language, abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. He that soweth discord among brethren. God help us to crucify in ourselves all remnants of sinful contention, all strife, all rivalry, all quarreling that's within us and that makes its way into our families and into Christ's church. You see, it's very easy for us to focus on everybody else who's being contentious but not to focus upon us, ourselves, as we promote contention. Because I believe that 
in various ways we are all contentious. In various ways we all, to greater or lesser degrees, manifest a contentious heart and spirit and the way we relate to one another. So let us not push this aside and say, well, uh, the text is talking about a woman. I'm a man, so it has nothing to do with me. I've already shown that men can also be contentious. And furthermore, let us not have the attitude, well, uh, this is not speaking to me because I'm not characterized by being a contentious person. Yes, it does have to do with you. It does have to do with me because, again, to varying degrees, it's true of us all. Main points uh, for the sermon today, I've summarized under these questions. First of all, what is a contentious person? Second, why is it better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than to live with a contentious person? Three, what can be done to crucify contention? What is a contentious person? Well, let's consider some of the characteristics of a contentious person. And again, let us examine our own heart, our own speech, and our own behavior as we consider these characteristics. First of all, a contentious person uh, is evidenced to be a proud person, one who is self-absorbed rather than concerned with the struggles that others are facing. In Proverbs 13, 10, we read, Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride, because we exalt ourselves, because we have to have it our way. So comes contention. One who is contentious must have his or her way or there's going to be a quarrel. There's going to be a fight to the bitter end until the other person concedes from exhaustion. Next, a contentious person usually seeks to control situations. He's a very controlling person, a contentious person is seeks to control situations by pushing people to their breaking point. When others surrender or finally uh, become so frustrated from the constant battle and quarrel, the contentious person feels as though he or she is really in control, which is what he or she wants to be, in control. And so the goal then is not peace and reconciliation for the contentious person, but it's, it's control, it's victory and getting one's way by wearing others down to the point of exasperation. Proverbs 27.15 says, A continual dropping or dripping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And again, because we've already noted that uh, men can be contentious, uh, we must not excuse ourselves as men. Obviously, the Lord has his reasons for putting a woman uh, in that particular context, but I think that women um, and men alike can be like a dripping faucet, relentless in the way we, we uh, seek our own way, seek our own will. Next, a contentious person uses ridicule. Uh, uses ridicule and mocking uh, as a weapon uh, to bring others uh, to exhaustion, to bring others to tears, 
in Proverbs 22.10. Cast out the scorner, that is the scoffer, the mocker. Cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Shall go out. And a contentious person uh, will often say, well, I, I was only teasing, as the other person is the point of tears, ready to pull one's hair out. I was only teasing, can't you take a joke? But dear ones, uh, this type of uh, method means of showing contention may be more subtle in some respects than yelling and cursing but it's just as effective when we continue to make fun of and ridicule when we continue to use that as a weapon to be scornful and scoff at others and and to bring them down again to be able to get our way to control them Next, uh, one who is contentious is a busybody and wants to know what is happening in all the families. Here and there, wants to have more information and the more information he or she gathers, uh, the more division, the more strife, the more sorrow, the more contention follows. Not healing, not reconciliation, but more contention is ignited by virtue of wanting more and more information about what's happening in so-and-so's marriage or so-and-so's family, trying to gain more and more. That's not bringing healing. That's not going to bring restoration and reconciliation it's only going to bring more contention the more information that gets out among people rather than keeping it as narrow as possible. Next, uh, one who is contentious, which follows from what I just said previously, but one who is contentious is a gossip. Uh, contention and strife spread as gossip spreads. Not, not peace, not reconciliation, not restoration, but contention and strife spread as gossip spreads. In Proverbs 26, 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer uh, or gossip, the strife ceaseth. That is, the contention ceaseth. Someone may say, well, it's not gossip if it's the truth. Yes, it is gossip. You see, slander is a false and malicious report. But gossip, gossip in telling the truth may be just as destructive as telling a lie. How often do we use the excuse that we go to others uh, in order to gain counsel uh, from others when really what we want is basically to find others who will agree with us. Not because we really want to hear the truth, not because we want to be counseled from what God says, but we want, again, uh, to hear what others may say that agrees with our already um, taken position. We want to have those to pat us on the back that uh, we need to simply continue in what we're doing rather than to be challenged that maybe we're not doing what we ought to be doing. Maybe we are... Uh, doing things that are contrary, saying things that are contrary to God's word. And so when we do this, 
contention and division within the home, within the church, spreads to others. When we do this, we're not a part of the solution. We are a part of the problem. The contention in our home then at that point begins to be spread, as we noted, outside of our home. It, it, it begins to be like a cancer. It brings and draws others into it. Others are affected. Rather than go the path of gossiping to others, let me suggest to you that you find a trusted counselor who is a mature Christian who knows the scripture very well. A very trusted counselor who will challenge you with the word of God if indeed you are going contrary to God's word. Who will not uh, simply tell you what you want to hear but is willing to speak the truth in love to you and an elder in the church a mature Christian who can biblically counsel you and pray with you dear ones let us all determine by God's grace to say no 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 to gossip. It is a trick of the enemy. It is to be used by the devil to divide. It is to be used by the devil to sow discord among brethren. As the Lord says, he hates and is an abomination to him in Proverbs chapter 6. Then one other characteristic, the contentious are not submissive to the Lord Jesus and to his truth. Otherwise, they would stop starting all these fires. In Romans 2.8, the apostle says, but unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth. Interesting. Who are contentious and do not obey the truth. The contentious are not willing to submit themselves to God's truth. There are things more important to them than the truth of God, namely getting their own way, doing what they want to do. And so they will not submit themselves to the Lord because... They want to be Lord of their own lives. Notice what the scripture teaches about those who are given to contention. Contention, first of all, contention and its accompanying sins are listed as deeds of the sinful flesh in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21 where we read, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, so those are all sexual types of uh, sins and deeds of the flesh, idolatry, witchcraft, having to do with um, sins related to Um, pursuing other gods uh, than the one true living God. And then hatred. These have to do with sins against one another. Hatred, variance. The word variance there uh, in in the the Greek language means contention. Variance. Uh, Emulations, which has to do with... uh, excessive passions 
sinful, extreme passions. Wrath, strife, again, strife, uh, actually it's uh, uh, the same root, uh, Greek, uh, of the same Greek word from variance that we just mentioned. Uh, just a slightly different variation of the same word, variance and strife. Seditions, uh, which are divisions, divisions within Christ church, uh, amongst fam families. Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Notice how Paul ends this section. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now tell me this is not serious business. They who do, that is, in the present tense, continue to practice these things, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is very serious business. Rather, we ought to replace the deeds of the flesh with what follow in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit. To replace the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which would be love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness, temperance or self-control. That's what we ought to be praying. God replaced these deeds of the flesh with this. You see, the Lord has already sown the fruit, those fruit of the Spirit within you. They're there if you truly believe and trust in Jesus. It's a matter of you simply praying, God, I crucify these deeds of the flesh. Let the fruit of the Spirit grow in its place. Consider the contention of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram in Numbers chapter 16, their contention, which, which brought division into the congregation of Israel. They were contending with Moses and with Aaron over the leadership within Israel. They contended with them, and God smote them, swallowed them up. Uh, the earth opened up and swallowed them up because of the contention they sowed among the people of God. You remember the contention within the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So here positively, the Apostle Paul says, this is what is to be true of you. This type of unity, speaking the same thing, not being any divisions among you, being perfectly joined together in the same mind and same judgment. But then he goes on to address the contentions. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions, contentions among you. Believe it, dear ones, that contention disheartens the godly and it emboldens divisions. We cannot lead others. We cannot lead others toward a covenanted reformation if we ourselves are mired in division, enmity, and contention. Beloved, where 
Love does not cover a multitude of sins. Where forbearance with the sins and weaknesses of others is absent in ministering to the weak. Where division reigns among us, their contention, strife has had its way. Are we part of the problem? Or are we seeking to be a part of the solution to the problem? This peace and unity, as I said, and I want to emphasize again, this peace and unity has already been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, purchasing every grace that we need in order to live a godly life. It's already yours. Do not treat what Jesus suffered and died upon the cross for. Do not treat it as meaningless. Because that's what we are treating his death as meaningless if we do not understand that he purchased for us. That we would be set free from contention. That we would be set free from divisions. And that we would be granted in our hearts love and peace and unity. Let me clarify before moving on to the next question what contention is not before we, we consider these question, next questions. It's not contentious to contend for the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not contentious. Jude, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend for the faith. Fight for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We are commanded to contend for the faith. However, we must speak the truth in love to others. Not in contempt, not out of bitterness to them, but in love. In love meaning, again, that what we're doing, we do for their good, for their well-being. What we do for them. We do to, to help them, uh, to uh, not harm and injure them. With meekness, praying for reconciliation in the truth, rather than with arrogance, causing chaos and confusion and division. You see, beloved, anyone can break the bones and break the spirit of his opponent with harsh, profane words, with gutter language, using all manner of foul speech. But it is the wise person, the wise believer and Christian, who knows how to break the bones of resistance with soft and tender words as we learn from Proverbs 25:15 by long forbearing is a prince persuaded and a soft tongue breaketh the bone Solomon says in Proverbs 15:1 a soft answer turneth away wrath but grievous words stir up anger a soft answer Turneth away wrath. And in Ephesians 4.29, please take this to heart as well. It's so easy when we become angry and we're not controlling our tongues, we're not controlling our conduct, we're out of control. It's so easy to just to let fly whatever 
comes to our lips. And if we do not begin to check that, if we do not pray, if we do not seek God's, God's grace, uh, indeed, every foul word will proceed from our mouths. But again, realize that's completely unacceptable to God. He does not approve of it. It is sin. It dishonors him. It disgraces him. Let This is Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication, no corrupt communication, proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We cannot excuse ourselves and say, well, the other person provoked me to anger, and I simply gave that person what they deserved. Absolutely not. It is a sin when we use corrupt communication, foul speech, whether we take God's name in vain or whether we're simply using sexual terminology uh, toward others that belongs not in our hearts, belongs not in our minds, belongs not in our speech. And let me say that it's not contentious. First of all, it's not contentious to contend for the truth of Jesus Christ, and it's not contentious to defend the good name of your brethren, past and present, or your own good name when it is slandered, as did Jonathan, for example, for David, even in the presence and to his own father, King Saul in 1 Samuel 19.4 And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. The second question, why is it better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than to live with a contentious person. Our text speaks here of one who finds it preferable to sit all alone in a very small corner of his flat roof where meals were often eaten than in a spacious house where many people might comfortably, pleasantly sit and talk one with another. Why would anyone prefer to be exposed to the rain, to the, to the sun, to the scorching wind, or to cold on one's rooftop than to be inside a comfortable house? Well, dear ones, the roof is chosen in order to find some peace of mind from the constant and relentless conflict of a contentious wife or contentious husband. Here is a most sad and deplorable situation because it happens between a husband and a wife who are bound together by covenant is one flesh. She who was given to him to be his helper throughout his life has become his antagonizer. He who was given to be her protector and defender throughout her life has become her persecutor. It reminds us of Job's wife, who rather than standing with her husband, who is going through great distress, and sorrow, and pain, and affliction, chose to contend with him. Curse God and die, she said. Dear ones, there are few miseries and heartaches in this life that are harder for any of us to bear than to find your enemy is within your own bosom. 
And yet the Lord does not, in our text here, condone divorce because he or she is contentious. The only grounds for a lawful divorce are adultery or a willful desertion that cannot be remedied by church or state, according to God's word. What can be done in such a seemingly hopeless situation as what we find here in Proverbs 21, 9? Well, I guess we have to, we have to ask, is it truly hopeless? Is it really hopeless? Absolutely not. It's not hopeless. For with the Lord is abundant mercy. And with the Lord is infinite power to be able to change and to transform both spouses. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That resurrection power that works within us is not hopeless. And to say so is again to call God a liar. There is always hope because Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, who is the peacemaker, he didn't remain in the grave. He arose from the dead. And there is especially hope of reconciliation among those who are true believers. And the evidence, in fact, that faith that they profess to have in Jesus Christ as true believers by pursuing peace and unity, by pursuing reconciliation, by not making the situation worse and worse and worse, but praying for those with whom they may have a disagreement, praying for them, loving them, caring for them, not giving up, not surrendering. But it will not come. That peace, that reconciliation will not come through endless conflicts, contention. Conflicts designed to change the other person but it will come through God's power and grace to first change you and me, to change us. And that change to be so evident that God then uses that change within us to bring about a change in our spouse or with another brother or sister in Christ and another family member. Earnestly pray, dear ones, that by God's grace you might win the heart of your spouse. Not control the heart of your spouse, but win the heart of your spouse through your loving self-sacrifice, even without a word, if your words are not received, even without a word. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 2, again, speaking directly to wives, but the principle likewise applies to husbands. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, the word conversation means their the lifestyle, um, the conduct of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, your chaste, chaste behavior, your chaste conduct. Without a word, again, sometimes we need to simply step back and let the Lord do His work. And we simply need to be 
quiet. We quiet, pray for, again, showing our love, showing our kindness, but be praying for rather than being relentless. In light of the lifelong commitment of marriage, how careful you young people who are not married, you singles who are not married, must be in marrying one who will not be to you later on in life a relentless antagonizer, but be rather a constant friend. One who does not delight in contention, quarreling, strife with others, gossiping about others to you, or making fun of others to you. Now, during your younger years, before you're married, there may not be that directed to you, but if you see it present in one in whom you're interested, beware. Because marriage tends to only tear down those barriers, and that can then be turned against you. The same things that are happening, that you see happening toward others. Be very, very careful. How he or she treats others, especially how he or she treats his or her parents, will likely rebound to you when the novelty of marriage wears off. A true love of peace and reconciliation in the truth is one of the most significant qualities to look for in a potential spouse. Not strife, not contention, not making fun of others, but a love of peace and of reconciliation in the truth. The third and final question, what can be done to crucify contention? Let me give to you several questions here that you can ask yourself. Again, this is for each of us personally. We're not answering these questions for somebody else and what we think may be true in the life of somebody else, we are answering these questions for ourselves. Do you relentlessly pursue and follow your spouse around the house when it is apparent that he or she simply needs some space? Do you initiate rec reconciliation by confessing your sin or must you wait until your spouse has first admitted defeat? Do you nag like a continual dripping faucet? Or do you speak the truth in love and then pray for your spouse and wait upon the Lord to do his work? in the heart of your spouse? Do you live in the past hurts and offenses that you have suffered or in the present atmosphere and sunlight of God's forgiveness, allowing love to cover a multitude of sins? Are you constantly critical of your spouse or are you seeking to encourage him or her in the areas in which he or she can be encouraged in? Do you seek to expose the sins and the weaknesses of your spouse to others? to yourself and to others, to your children? Or do you rather seek to cover them in love? 
Is winning a quarrel more important to you than than being reconciled in love and peace? And many more could be added, but I give to you this last one. Do you care that Jesus died to bury the sins of contention, gossip, and division? Does that matter to you? Do you care that Jesus suffered to bury those sins and that he rose again to give to you that love and that peace and that reconciliation with God, as well as with one another. What should you do when the Spirit of God reveals that you have acted, behaved contentiously, that you have spoken contentiously, that you have thought, and in your heart there is that spirit and attitude of contention? What should you do? First of all, honestly confess it as sin. Don't excuse it. Don't blame someone else for that contention and strife within your own heart. Confess it as sin in your life. Repent of it. Grieve over it. Sorrow. Turn from it. Recognizing that it's wrong. It's contrary to the will of God. And then earnestly seek the forgiveness from Christ. And purpose in your heart before God to crucify that contentious spirit rather than indulging it. Purpose to crucify it through the death of Christ. That as he died for that sin, that you, as one, as one who is united to Jesus Christ by faith, that you say, I reckon the death of Christ that and bearing that sin to be the bearing of that sin in my own heart and in my own life. At the beginning of the day, preview the questions. If you, again, want to learn to grow, to avoid contention. At the beginning of every day, preview the questions that were just mentioned to you, the eight or nine questions that I just mentioned. Go through those questions. Write them down. Go through them. Ask yourself those questions at the beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, go through the questions. See where you have failed. And repent. Seek his forgiveness. Next, ask those whom you have offended to love you enough with whom you have been contentious, with whom you have quarreled, ask them to love you enough to pray for you. To pray for you. That's an act of humility. That is, again, putting your pride down. Regardless of whether, again, your spouse or anyone else in your mind has been contentious, again, you can still go to them and that will be a very humbling thing for you to do to them to say, please forgive me and pray for me. Next, initiate reconciliation with love and meekness rather than waiting for others to first admit defeat. And then... Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ, who loved peace and reconciliation and the truth to such a degree that he was willing again to lay down his life to secure it for all those who trust in him and believe in him. It is, dear one, sin, it is error, and it is rebellion against God that causes dissension, division, and contention in your marriage and in the church of Jesus Christ. Sadly, this is a sin that has been quietly accepted amongst professing Christians. 
this is a sin that has been quietly accepted throughout the world. And uh, again, denominationalism is the result. It's the result of this contention due to sin and due to error rather than the result of reconciliation due to love and truth. If we, dear ones, would rid the church of all such contention, we must begin with our own heart, our own family, our own church. I submit to you that if it does not begin there, it's not going to work anywhere else. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Please stand with me in prayer. Have mercy upon us, our Lord. For we have been those who have taken delight in contention. We have been those who have tried to control people. We have been dripping faucets. Lord, we have not pursued reconciliation. We have not allowed love to cover a multitude of sins. Our Father, we pray that thou would show to us in each of our lives where we have failed thee, that we would turn unto thee, Lord Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace and who will gladly uh, grant to us such a prayer, for such a prayer is in keeping with the will of God for us to be peacemakers to grow in being peacemakers, to watch our speech and our attitudes, to watch our behavior and our conduct. Plead with thee, our Lord. Begin with us. If we would, Lord, see peace and unity in thy church throughout the world, begin with us. Within our own marriages, begin with us in our own church. We ask that thou would hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.